Hello, and welcome to Cruising Through History. My name is Xander, and I'm sitting here with Scott Cruz. Scott, where are we cruising through today? Well, today, Xander, I thought I'd talk about the Library of Alexandria. The Library of Alexandria. You're talking about the one famously burned down, or, or was something like that. Yes, and one thing that I discovered in doing research for this is that it didn't burn down. Oh, well. <laughs> well, not, it didn't burn down in one sort of cataclysmic fire, and it wasn't destroyed by, they, there's a lot of talk that the story about it burning comes from when Julius Caesar was in Egypt in like 48 BC, they accidentally burnt some of the library, his, his troops did, they had set fire to, or there was a fire near the harbor, and it kind of spread and it burned some of the collection, but it was accidental. Okay. So it, so I, I know, <laughs> I feel like history characterizes this as like a purposeful destruction of hundreds of years right. of knowledge. And by the time it was finally destroyed, I don't mean to say finally, like thank God, but when it finally was destroyed, it was really a shell of itself. Okay. Um, it wasn't what it was in the beginning. Uh, I think it was in the 200s. 275 AD, that they think it was finally just destroyed. There was a, a siege of Alexandria, and because um, it was under you know, the Romans had had uh, dominion over it, if you will, and they think that's when it was whatever was left of it, <laughs> whatever was left of it at the time was what was destroyed. So, so let's. I mean, I think we're it's interesting for this episode. I think we're really. Change, this one is changing how we think of the the um, Library of Alexandria. So let's start at the what, the, the library. Let's start at the yes, beginning yes. here. What what is well, what is it? What's going on with it? What happened? originally at the death of Alexander the Great, they split the empire up into four different sections, and one of them was under a ruler named Ptolemy, and he ruled in Egypt. The Seleucids ruled in Mesopotamia, what would be Iraq and Iran, that area in Central Asia. And so it wasn't until um, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, which is just a name I love, and it was built during his reign. And I think what, and that was between like 285, 246 BC. They're not quite sure exactly the date. And one thing that they wanted to do, this was in the context of the Hellenistic Age, was to spread Greek learning. And okay. so they thought, because there were other libraries in other places throughout the empire. Most, they were always called royal libraries because really they were for the kings. They're, they're not how we think of libraries as no. public institutions today. Not, well, the Alexandria one kind of was, and that's what set it apart. Oh. Because the Ptolemies in Egypt thought, yeah, we were going to have this big, splendid library, which was actually part of a complex called the Museum. Not the museum, but the Mausian, I might have said it wrong. And that just meant the muses. And oh, so okay. it was dedicated, it was like a research complex, if you will. And the library was part of it. But what um, the Ptolemies, when they, it was really the library, a, a lot of these royal libraries were like, look what I have. And mm -hmm. symbols of power or wealth or whatever. 
And a lot of private libraries later in history were like that too. You know, people, and people always say, look at our great library. Well, it's the idea that knowledge is power. So if you com, com, um, conglomerate all of that knowledge in a single place, that's a lot of power. And the Ptolemies had this idea where, so what we're going to do here in Alexandria is we're going to have all knowledge here. And so, and they were really positioned well in Egypt because, of course, that's where papyrus grows. Mm. Now, papyrus, what they would use is a plant. And it was used in other things, too, like maps and rope. It's kind of a thick material. And they would write these. And I'm going to use the, phrase, the term book. We're kind of talking about scrolls. But I'm just going to say book because it's just easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they would use the, what was called the pith part of the plant, which was sort of the tissue and the stem. And it would be this thick material. And it was really preserved well. I mean, all those scrolls, some of the scrolls have survived to the day. So it's very durable material. Yes. And they really had a monopoly on it in Egypt. And so they thought, well, they, you know, they were in really in a great position. And now you'd have but one thing they would do, and this is, this is kind of, um, I don't know. <laughs> when ships would come to the harbor, they would send officials onto the ships, confiscate any scrolls they had, take them back to the library, copy them. And this is where it gets interesting. And they would hand back to the owners the copies, not the originals. Ooh. And they would keep the originals. That, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. And the other thing they would do is they would, they had well-funded, I mean, this is, it just sounds so modern when you think about some of these things. You know, they had a well-funded uh, book acquisition. So mm-hmm. they would give these, representatives all this money and send them out and so a lot of times they would go to athens and Rhodes to these book fairs where they would buy all this stuff and then bring it back Mm -hmm. and so um and they always wanted the oldest copy of something they could find so we're talking first edition sorts of stuff yes because less copying Mm -hmm. because the more you get the more you have a scroll or something that's copied the more likely you're going to get to mistakes if you're getting to the fourth and fifth editions. Yeah. Whereas we think of editions as revisions, mm-hmm. and it makes it better in some ways. This was the opposite. The more you copied it, the more likely there was going to be mistakes in it. So the first editions are important. And then, even then, if they do copy something, they're going to keep that first edition and give the second edition <laughs> right. away. And the ship owners were pretty much out of luck. I mean, there was, there was no recourse to anything. Well, they, it was their power. Um, that yep. was their... And that's how, you know, that was part of it. Because mm-hmm. they wanted to put all the knowledge in one place. And so they would invite scholars there. And actually, I think Archimedes was worked out of there for a while. And so the scholars would come, and they would get everything. Their room, their board. Basically, all they had to do was just do the things they would do. You know, to translate things and and copy and stuff like that. And so you got all these works that came out of that. And um, one was uh, the guy who, and I probably might get his name wrong, so bear with me. I think his name was Eratosthenes. And he, he's the one who figured out the circumference of the earth like within uh, so many miles. that It's almost what it is today. What He yeah. figured it out. And, and that, he, that took place yeah. at the Library of Alexandria. Yeah, he, he studied there. And um, so did... Uh, a scholar named Callimachus. Now, the reason we don't really know his name, and I didn't know it till I saw this, and but he wrote a work called the Panakis, 
I know it kind of rhymes, <laughs> and I don't want to cause any confusion. But the Pinakis, I think I'm saying it right, it's sometimes considered to be the world's first library catalog. Wow. Because really what it was was a bibliography. Mm -hmm. He just wrote of all the, of all the books they, they, they knew of. Now, this wasn't now, I mean. This, but it was really the first attempt to catalog items. Yeah, and it, I mean, it probably by the sound of it, it wasn't good. Like it wasn't good at it. We think in library, you know, modern library, you know exactly where that item's going to be. You know the we right. know who's had it when it comes in. But this is you're saying like a bibliography. So it's say this item is here. You can find it here. But then what happened? What later was one of the first directors of the library <laughs> again, for lack of a better word, was a man named, uh, another great name, Zenodotus of Ephesus. I know these are so lyrical, these names. But what he did is he had written a book previously. It was a glossary of, where, of rare and unusual words, but they were organized in alphabetical order. Now, this is the first time that we know of that someone organized something. He organized them all by the first letter. So he was the first library director so they think they use this for organizing the collection they did it by alphabetical order because he's the one who did it in this book mm -hmm. they're not sure but they think that's how they how they did it that's how they organized the because they had all these individual rooms where you'd walk down a hall and there was all these individual rooms and you could all the scrolls were in certain places yeah and i mean was well, i guess was was there some rhyme or order subject wise or it's just you know we put them where they fit. yeah i don't think so. I, yeah i don't think so i think it was just because it was kind of uh i don't know if they're they know for sure but they do know that they collected a lot of of uh, homeric scrolls because that was their big thing because homer was you know the guy in greek literature and greek yeah. education and so um but now how they would um organize those would by where they got them from Mm -hmm. So they would, and a lot of times they would, they would put on the scroll where they got it, where they acquired it. So it almost gives it a little provenance, like where it came from. It's almost more archival than. Yeah. It, it's this whole, about the Library of Alexandria, it it sounds like almost this like university-esque kind yes. of system that the library is part of it. It's, I mean, the we know it is the Library of Alexandria, but it's more, seems like this research place brings researchers in takes their works out you know you output something for them right. they keep something other people have access to it it's right. it sounds like this great um combination of knowledge it's not just you know the literal the books the scrolls right but the people as well and right it and they systems they had because it didn't hear it it didn't adhere to any school of philosophy so they had academic freedom mm-hmm so they could research and write whatever they really they wanted to. Just as long as something was left there. The only, yeah, the only thing they were, and, and they were still subject to the authority of the king, but a lot of times the king didn't really bother with it. The king might be busy with king things. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I guess it, it sounds like we, we know there's a lot of influence. There's a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Um the first uh, director or ruler leader however they go <laughs> right. um the first and second 
they really revolutionized. I mean, now I'm saying they revolutionized how libraries were. They were though. They were like there weren't that many libraries. Right, and that's um, and there were libraries. In fact, there's a book called Libraries in the Ancient World mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Lionel Kassan that I that I was looking at for this podcast, and um, he makes the point that yes, there were there were libraries in the ancient world in the Near East, but they were all royal libraries. Yeah. This was more of a almost like a think tank kind of thing where, yeah. where scholars would come like you said a university yeah that's that's i really think this seems more university-esque idea rather than like a library because an arc i mean a lot of universities have archives now as well um right they have their right. own university archives um so moving forward in history then we have this great sets of knowledge but things have been you know things happened to it or things were brought in like they're significant issues that have happened that affected the library so what what happened well the decline started ironically under another ptolemy king ptolemy the eighth and they always had like ptolemy the eighth and then a name but his name was ptolemy the eighth feiscon i think i'm saying that right now in 145 bc he purged a lot of the intellectuals Oh, because some of them had supported his predecessor. Now this hadn't happened before. Some and I, there's not. They don't really know why it was him. They don't know if he had maybe a personal beef, if you will, if you will, with one of the scholars and didn't like that he supported his predecessor. Mm-hmm. And they also expelled all the foreign intellectuals that were there. So they were sent out. There were still people there, but a lot of the main ones were sort of. Not banished, but they went out to other parts of the empire and and worked. And so I want to kind of make it clear: it was it wasn't it didn't seem like it was like I don't like this idea. We're gonna get rid of people that are against or like right. Worth right. that idea. But it what happened like, was a lot of the sort of the grade A scholars left, mm-hmm. and so but it still it still went on. But that was really the beginning of when it started to teeter a little bit. Okay. So, I mean, the value, we've talked about the value, not just in the scrolls, but the people, a lot of the people left at this point. Right, and they had created so many things. I mean, uh, a lot of textual things and and textual criticisms and things of that nature. But yes, they left, they went to other parts of the empire. But it really starts to go downhill when the Romans take over. Okay. Because in the, you know, you had the Civil War, now... Cleopatra was a Ptolemy. In fact, she was the last Ptolemaic ruler of Egypt. Ironically, she was the only one who spoke Egypt. I mean, I'm sorry. She's the only one who, sorry. She's the only one who spoke Egyptian and knew it. And this made me think of the Rosetta Stone because Mm. the Rosetta Stone is in this time frame. Okay. And we talked about how they printed it in Greek in this sort of archaic Egyptian language and then hieroglyphics. Well, of course Greek because apparently... None of the Greeks spoke Egyptian at all. So that's probably why it was in Greek. But I know I'm digressing. But it made me think of the Rosetta Stone. But when um, the Romans take over Egypt, Alexandria's influence starts to wane. And it's so funny how the... I noticed this too. The library's uh, importance or its grandeur sort of it sort of waxes and wanes with like when the Greeks started it was this big thing when the Romans take over the city and the library are tied so when the city starts to go down in the Roman Empire as a place of less importance so does the library 
So I get. I guess did this mean that did the Romans not value that knowledge? I guess why would they that be a did, thing? Did and they. But I think it's because another thing that started happening is the Romans. They must have still thought it was a, a an institution that had some prestige to it, because what they started doing is they started handing out um, memberships, if you will, to government officials, athletes. And so people that weren't scholars were getting these sort of, I guess today we'd call it, you know, these sort of things on their resume. Like, oh, I'm a member of the Library of Alexandria, you know, and it was, so they still thought of it as prestigious, but I don't think they're really putting any money or, into it or, and it was really sort of becoming, and like I said, with the Caesar thing, that was accidental. They know that he didn't purposely try to burn yeah, the library yeah. down, but that's what happens. It, and, and so the, it just... When the city's fortunes start to go down, so does the library. And so does the whole research institute that they had built around. And they had a, it had a sister library, too, mm-hmm. in a place called the Serapium. Yeah. So it, it had these branches, if you will, mm-hmm. as well. But the Romans, I, the, I think the Romans valued, they certainly valued Greek culture, because we see that in their own culture, how it reflects Greek culture. Yeah. But and, I, So I don't think it was a... Uh, a thing uh, yeah deliberate and and i want to um i want to almost interject even for 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 modern libraries as well that it it's a library yes it has the books in this case scrolls it has you know storage spots for them the thing is that all of that needs to be maintained yes um there you know there's pest and pests get in. They get inside of a book. Suddenly, all of that knowledge is eaten by pests, and they spread, or something like that. Right. Or, you know, um, someone wrote in it, or you want to clear that up. Um, the binding comes undone for a book. Um, right. Someone gets water on it. That is all things that need to be maintained. And right. in this case, they're doing so much work here making copies of things um they need to buy the papyrus to make more copies Mm -hmm. so it it makes sense that if the city is going down and funding is going down that then there are less people who could staff the library Mm -hmm. we already know that there are less scholars going into that library making it more prestigious so it's stagnating in that sense and once you start losing that funding, the library is going to go down. It can't be maintained to the level it was before. Right. And even the term Alexandrian starts to take on a pejorative meaning. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because people associated with it, but just people copying things. And so they were like, well, there's no originality. There's no, you're just, you're not really doing anything original. So it, so that almost gives it a negative connotation of all the stuff that was going on there. So I, I just thought that was interesting. And I also, th- I always had this counterfactual in my head, like, well, let's say instead of Augustus beating Mark Antony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium, it was the other way around. Well, Mark Ant- Antony probably would have still ruled from Egypt and Cleopatra would have still been ruling. They both wouldn't have been dead. And I, I mean, it's just a counterfactual, but I thought, what if it was flipped and they won, would that have affected the library's fortunes? Because they probably would have ruled from Egypt instead of Rome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, Egypt was still an, an important province, but I think 
know, the Romans had a lot of other provinces too. Yeah. And so, and we were far enough away, I think, from Alexander's time. And, and Alexander, I mean, the Greeks are the ones who really liked the evocation and, 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 they, and Egypt always had this sort of pull on all these different empires in the region, whether it was in the Near East, the Romans, the Greeks, everyone was there. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think you're right though. I think that just, it's sort of like just neglect and no one really thinks of it. And so, yeah, and like I said, I was, I was surprised. I always thought it was burned down, <laughs> like someone burned it down. And, you know, through history, we know a lot about library destruction. Yeah. Intentionally or other, but mostly intentional. So uh, that's what I thought happened. But it turns mm -hmm. out it was sort of this gradual decline. And then when it did go under, there really was not much left. So is, is that the next thing after the neglect under the Roman Empire? Is that, you know, um, Caesar's accidental uh, Yes, yeah, that next. happened before. And then... Um, I think it was uh, Diocletian had, had laid siege to the city. There was a Palmyra, which was in Syria, I believe. They attacked Alexandria first, and I think that's when they thought it was destroyed, like whatever was left of it. But it turns out that, well, if it wasn't then, then Diocletian, who was another Roman emperor in like 200-something A.D., he had laid siege to the city, and then they think that may have... But then, like the library, sister library in Serapium lasted till 391. But of course, by that time, it wasn't even a library anymore. There were no books there. It was a church mm -hmm. of some kind. So they think maybe that's what happened with. They eventually the papyrus, and no one really knows what happened to them. Everything just got destroyed, but just in a gradual, just rotted, probably. And uh, and so, you've, you've worked with books here before. Yes, they can. <laughs> they rot. Uh, they can go through some things. Right, but I was kind of looking at the whole idea of destruction of libraries, and uh, there's actually a list you can find on the Internet, like human and then, you know, other. <laughs> but it, it wasn't like that. You know, the Nazis destroyed, like, five major libraries in Poland mm -hmm. alone in the 1940s, including their National Archives and Historical Center. But this one, this one wasn't really destroyed in the traditional sense no no in, in in fact it seems like scholars don't really know it just kind of was gone <laughs> and so they, they a lot of it's speculation like well if this part of the city was destroyed then the library was too because yeah. it was part of that yeah what what is the the legacy here what did people what are some theories of what happened i know you just mentioned that city was destroyed. well just you know, because it was destroyed, it would be there. I just, I mean, I just read a book that was like, it wasn't really destroyed. They just <laughs> hit it. And now everyone has magic and all that fiction book. Um, right. But, I mean, what but is you, the speculation? You do wonder, like, I always wonder about, just in general, like, knowledge that's lost or knowledge that we had to reacquire. Because the Greeks certainly knew a lot of things. And we're finding that out the more we, and not just the Greeks, but a lot of cultures, whether whether Asian or, or African or European or we're finding out the more we find out that a lot of these were complex cultures that had a lot of knowledge so we, I always wonder how much did we lose when those civilizations either collapsed or or had I mean think of uh, some of the Central American mm -hmm. and and uh, the knowledge they had and what did we have to sort of reacquire because they had it but then it was lost yeah 
Um, it wasn't really stored in anywhere, so it was lost to history, if you will. Lost to history, lost to colonization, yes. lost to um, a lot of things. I know in mental health, um, a lot of people um, that I've, I've been reading more mental health books will actually reference um, um, a lot of African tri- tribal communities mm-hmm. and, you know, how they support each other so that mental health is not as big of an issue. Right. And right. now we're looking today and we're like, how does mental health do things? Like, well, I mean, some people figured figured out mental health before before we did. Um, right. And, that, you know, I always think of that, too. You know, how, and like I said, not just in Alexandria, because clearly those scrolls went somewhere. But I think there's, I think the, the textual criticisms and the pre- preservation of a lot of Homer's works, I think we still have that now. Yeah. And so, I think I think it did its it did its job, <laughs> but it's just it's just it was always funny to me that when the Romans had it, it was sort of an honorary. Like, hey, I'm I'm a member of the Library of Alexandria, so you know I must be great. So then we you know give, they would give that that plum to anybody. Yeah, it's like a souvenir, um, right? Like, hey, well, here's your souvenir for being here. And they get this little badge that says, I was at the Library of Alexandria. And I know we, we, we don't have a lot of time when we do these podcasts, but I'm sure there were plenty of other scholars that, you know, if we look deep enough, we probably still have their works because yeah. of things that they did there. But, yeah, and it wasn't that long. I mean, well, I suppose it was, but, yeah, it was. Because it didn't really go under till maybe the 200s A.D., mm-hmm. so that would have been almost 400 years that it stood but like even but i think if they they look at what happened this rapium and then when it was destroyed and actually this rapium was destroyed intentionally and i'm trying to remember why i don't know if it was because i know why it was because they had turned it into a church but a pagans who lived in alexandria i think destroyed it oh, yeah. so sort of a reverse but um like i said by that time it wasn't even a library so they think that the Library of Alexandria had really fallen and probably wasn't really much left of it as a building. It was probably still there, but, you know, who knows what happened to the scrolls. Yeah, the in, the inside. Well, it may be looted. Yes. Scholars came and took their stuff. Um, a lot of stuff in Egypt was looted. <laughs> I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, and I mean, um, I books, I mean, even nowadays, books are like big books are expensive um yes those big um reference textbooks which i imagine um there's a lot of things that point to other things or other scholars um considering the labor that was being put in them they're expensive they could be sold and Um, i I just try to juxtapose this with when we talk about penny dreadfuls mm -hmm. and how here you have well of course you didn't have book technology then but you had scrolls and special scholars and everything and then what the penny dreadful did is it opened up when people were more literate, and you could also print them, you didn't have to have a big scroll. You just you, they found cheaper ways to print books, and that's what expanded readership. Yeah. So this kind of ties with some of that, and so, but I thought this was interesting, and and like I said, the biggest takeaway for me was that it wasn't burn. And actually, there's a word for book burning. I had never heard it until I was watching an author who actually wrote a book called The Library of Fragile History. And it was from the person sort of uh, moderating the event. They kept using the phrase biblioclasm. Oh, you know, I, I have thought, heard that word. What? 
the heck is biblioclasm? And it's book burning. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, you know, why burn a whole library down when you can just burn all the books? I mean, effectively, um, we think when we've talked about the Library of Alexandria as a place of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And knowledge and information, um, I, I remember one of the first things, first required classes in library school, uh, the question was, uh, what, is, what is information? Uh, or which the, okay, I think actually the question was, what is a book? Um, no. That was the question. If you're thinking of something that holds information, a lot of things start being books. Right. Um, so when you talk scroll a book, I mean, that spoke to that portion <laughs> because right. it's something that holds information. Um, right. the, the funny thing is like, is a deer a book? Like that was the, that was a theoretical question. Oh, um, sure. what holds information? What is that value? And we're thinking what there's value in just that info. And that's right. where having the people that have the info have that value. Um, right. Cause those people are essentially books or like you think of a talking book project, right? Something like that. And I think a lot of the, and I think you're right because a lot of the, my own theory is that I think a lot of the knowledge did survive because the people did. Mm -hmm. They just were dispersed to other parts of the empire, but they still took that with them, Yeah, their knowledge. And so other learning centers would pop up. And then later you sort of had you know the Muslim House of Wisdom where they had a lot of the Greek text. And then they sort of reintroduced those to medieval Europe. And um, so they had them. And so they would copy them. And so they did survive. And yeah. so, I mean, we talk, I mean, lost text is maybe a maybe whole nother adventure, <laughs> lost text throughout the world. Things that we know of that, that we know they existed, but no one's been able to find it. That right. There's so much Greek stuff topic. that's been lost. And the only re reason we know of it is because it's referred to in other works. But mm -hmm. the original work, you can't be found. Yeah. But it, it really seems like the, the loss of Alexandria wasn't so much a massive loss. Right. Okay, well, that was that is I you you educated me today. Um, so wow, I, I guess the the next question is what are we cruising through next time? Well, this is going to be interesting, especially for you Game of Thrones fans out there. Oh no, I'm going to talk about dragons. Oh oh my gosh, the folklore of dragons and. How it came to be that we had a mythical creature called a dragon. Okay, I'm, I'm a fantasy person, so this is this is gonna be a topic. I'm loving this, Scott. I can't. And wait I hope I don't let anybody down. <laughs> I, I hope I have it, but I think it'll be interesting. Oh, hey, Scott. Did you know that listeners can actually contact us now? They can. How can they do that? Yeah, they can just email us at um, historycruise at mykpl.info. Great. Also, like and subscribe on any of the platforms you find this podcast.